pray. Our Father, we want to continue this moment in your presence and not move too quickly from it where we give our full attention to you in exaltation and praise, adoration. We bless you, Lord, God of the ages, able to help us, able to save us and rescue us, able to love us, though we are unlovable. Our Father, we just thank you so much for your amazing grace toward us. And I just ask, Father, in these moments with your, as we gather around your word together, that the work of the Holy Spirit working internally in our hearts would prompt us to give our lives totally to you. That we would come before you with humility, which is appropriate. And Lord, if there be any prideful things in us, Lord, we ask that you would wash them out of the way because they are totally in the way of our, of our fellowship with you and with one another. So our God, we present ourselves to you. We want you to do your work in our lives. We, we want to leave this place changed and different. We want to be transformed. We want to know what it is to have the resident power of the Holy Spirit moving through all facets of our life, shaping us, Lord. Father, I, I pray against the forces that would attempt to take your glory out of this moment. I, I pray, Father, against the, the wiles of the evil one, who would desire to steal away the things of God, who would cause us to be distracted. I pray, Father, against uh, every force that would array itself against your will and your ways. And I pray that you, Father, would meet with us powerfully, that you would hover over us, and that this would be a, a place, a holy moment, where God's people are communing with a holy God, a solemn assembly, Father, with you. Because you are the God of the universe, creator of all things. It is to you we offer ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel a bit like an excited kid who comes home from camp and wants to tell everybody what has happened. Thank you so much for your generosity and kindness to allow me to be away for a couple of weeks and some others of us in our staff and, and all that you've done because uh, God has been at work and has been doing many things in our lives. And I can tell you that I, I can't remember a two-week span that has been more, more extreme in my entire life. And, um, and I can only say to you that I'm, I'm being depressurized by God uh, as I reflect upon all that's gone on, and, and I'll only be able to give you little bits at a time, um, and, and I hope that God uh, allows me to do that. And, and also, I think about our Peru team and the other, the other ministries that have gone on here, and, and I think it's going to be important for us over the next several weeks to really 
catch all of you up and engage you in the, in the ministry that you're all involved in and, and supporting and, and being a part of. And we want to we make sure that you're entirely, um, continue to be involved. And so well, maybe we'll have some mission vignettes or moments on Sunday nights or something to try and package this together and, and, and continue to, to uh, feed you the kinds of amazing things that have been going on around the world that, um, that you know, some of us have had the opportunity to be be your ambassadors to come back with, with messages for you. Uh, I can just tell you, as I think about uh, some of the contrasts, um, um, one of, the, one of the, the, the major contrasts was uh, Keith and myself walking the streets of Calcutta. That was a major contrast, Keith. You know, the last time I was there in India, um, people were staring at me. But when I went out walking with Keith, there were no eyes looking at me at all. They were just staring at Keith. They, they thought this, this white guy had come over for, to do Bollywood movies or something, this, this, this immense white guy, and it, it, was, it, was, it was good to be out in, out in the street with my bodyguard. That's what I told, that's what I told the college kids anyway, you know, they, they were calling us David and Goliath, and, and I said, well, no, no, actually, I just brought my bodyguard with me this time, and so, so we just had a really amazing time, and you're going to hear from Keith. Keith needs to tell you some of his thoughts, too about what God has done. But, but I think some of the contrast for me, because we came back and joined the team and then went to, to uh, New York um, to um, be a part of, of uh, praise and, and, uh, and worship kind of uh, pastor's conference, that, that for me it was the contrast of, of walking the streets of Calcutta with uh, goat heads and bull heads laying on the street uh, because the Muslims were sacrificing the blood of bulls and goats, no one had told them that, that that's not how we're saved. We're saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But I, I remember an image. Keith and I were there, and, and we saw this little boy, about 10 or 11 years old, just covered with blood, his hair, his shirt, his pants, his legs. And it was almost like a badge of honor that he had been part of this sacrifice that, uh, to gods that are no gods. And and then the contrast uh, to, to go, come back and go to, to New York and go to, go to a prayer, prayer meeting service that was more than 4,000 people. There wasn't a place you could sit. It was an overflow into another room. And, and to go from this place of, of abject depravity, the, 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 the levels of, uh, beyond that, the levels of, of dehumanization to, to this high place of, of worship of Jesus Christ together with God's people is, is almost too much for a, a, a human being to comprehend or to take in. And, and so um, these kinds of images are, are still percolating in my life to try and, and, and bring to you and to bring the kind of, of message that the Lord wants for you. And, 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 and Keith and I were able to go to the, um, the aftercare home that many of you have been praying about. It's a reality now. As of last fall, it's, it's in operation. And, and what it is is a rescue place for, to take little girls off the, out of the sex trade. And, and Keith and I saw 17 little girls in this place from ages of 11 to 17 who have been rescued out of, out of the most horrible, horrible of things. And, and now they've been brought into a loving environment where they're being taught about Jesus Christ and, and being loved and cared for and given health care. And, and, and they were jumping up and down, Keith, to show, they just wanted to show us their rooms, you know, just like little girls are. And, and here's where I sleep, here's where I sleep. All 17 of them had to show us exactly where they were. And it was just such a blessing. And and, and the leader of, of the aftercare home is coming over here to Canada in March. And, and, and I just think it would be an amazing thing for our ladies here in, in, at Calvary to adopt something of this aftercare ministry. 
And, uh, and we're going to have to get this lady to come here on a Tuesday morning to share with, with our ladies' ministry um, about the great things that God is doing. And I just think it would be an amazing ministry for us to grab hold of. People's Church has purchased them two vans we saw there. And, and it's just an amazing partnership around the world of trying to rescue these poor kids. We'll tell you more about it, but, but Keith and I could hardly contain ourselves. Keith said, could you sing for us? And they all gathered around. They had us sit down in front of them, and they all sang for us. And only God could put a song in the hearts of little girls who've been so horribly mistreated by people. And, and it's just an amazing ministry. And, and I was just thinking, um, Jan, that I can't wait till the day that, that I, I get to take all those pastors and all the people who've, who've been impacted by those pastors. And I take them to, to meet your dad and your mom, Ernie and May, and just say, your investment had such an amazing impact in the lives of people. I can't, I can't wait to, to introduce all of you to the, to the pastors and, and all of the people who are being ministered to and affected for eternity out of this amazing ministry and through your generosity as well. And, and so uh, we, we, we've just been filled up, filled up with the things of God. And, and the lines of demarcation between the things of Satan and the things of God are very clear in Calcutta. But I want to tell you something. That's the concern I have for us. Because the same evil one who is at work and plays dirty, by the way, in Calcutta, is the same evil one who's at work around here. But, but he has, um, like a good hunter, a strategy. A good hunter doesn't want to disturb the environment of his prey. He wants to keep it calm and the way it is. So it won't be, the prey won't be alarmed. And I feel like we live in a region, we live in a place where, where underneath everything there is this, this work, this evil work, trying to upset the work of God, the movement of God, the, the conversions of people to Christianity are, are a trickle when it should be a, an a outpouring because I, I believe so much that the evil one has, has so calmed down the environment here and is about to pounce on his prey. Because we are a very successful place, the East GTA. We are the hardest place in all of North America to do ministry. That's a proven reality. And, and I think that um, it's important for us to recognize that one of the great dangers for all of us is the relative success, contentment, and prosperity that we enjoy in our region. It was King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, who... Um, it says in, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, he was very contented and prosperous. It says a little bit later in that text, in Daniel 4, verse 30, that as he was gazing upon his kingdom and all his possessions, he was remarking how all of this came about by his might, my might, he says, and, and for my glory... I want to attract your attention this morning to Daniel chapter 4 in particular. I want to talk to you a little bit about the risky business of success. And I, I hope you all 
realize that by world standards, you know, you know some of us in here might be saying this morning, well, I, I'm, I'm not really enjoying a whole lot of success. I, I wouldn't call myself under some sort of risk because I'm prosperous or successful. Listen, by world standards, we're very successful people. We have every reason to be very contented people. We're, we're very prosperous people. And as a result of that, it puts us in a very precarious position. Because because of our contentment and our prosperity and our relative ease, there is a temptation to sort of take charge of your own life and say, look at what I have, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished. Out of my might, out of my savvy, for, for my recognition, hey, you know what? A lot of people are saying I got a lot of good things going on in my life. A lot of people are saying, you know, the reason that, 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 that there's so much success around me is because of my skillfulness, because of my, uh, my intelligence, because of, of, of my hard work. And, you know, you can start to get to thinking, well, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I did produce all of this. That's the way Nebuchadnezzar was thinking. And, and the, the simple reality is that there are signs in your life that you may be taking charge yourself. The signs uh, generally circle around a couple of major emphases. You you start to rely on your own counsel more and more. Or or, or secondly, you you receive credit for the things that you believe is your own success. Say, well, I'm not really... really, uh, kind of relying on my own counsel. I don't really see that wreck, and, and, and I'm not necessarily receiving um, sort of uh, accolades for my own success. Wait a second, wait a second. Maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe you haven't noticed. How's your prayer life? If you're not praying very much, then whose counsel are you relying on? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you aren't really lifting up praises to God or energetically honoring Him, thanking Him, then what's the alternative? Praising yourself? Taking credit for what you have to yourself? The Apostle Paul looked at the landscape of his time in Romans chapter 121 and he he described people like that he said that uh, they neither honored God as God nor gave thanks to him. The very things that we've just been talking about here. They neither honored God as God. How, how do you honor God as God? Well, you certainly come before him with prayer. You seek his counsel always. You treat him as if he is God of your life. And, and how do you thank the Lord? Isn't it through praise? Praise. Thankfulness, generosity. Paul goes on to remind us in Romans chapter 1, 21 and following that, that God messes with the minds of people like that. He has to. You're either growing one way or the other. You're either growing more and more dependent and in love with God or you're growing more and more distant from Him. And, and if you are determined to be distant from God, then he will, he will start to take his hand off of your life. 
It says in the text there in Romans chapter 1 that, that he just gives people over. The, the kind of people who don't honor God as God or, or thank him, he, he starts to take his hand off. It says he gives them over to themselves. We see this all around us. People's hearts are more and more dark. They stop thinking straight. Their behavior gets increasingly twisted. Motions cut loose to wander in dark places. Start to squeeze the light out of your life. It says in verse 5 of Daniel chapter 4 that Nebuchadnezzar experienced night terrors. This morning, for a few moments, I want to share with you the testimony of a prideful king, a successful man. In fact, some would say that Nebuchadnezzar was perhaps one of the most successful men of all time in the flesh. He had a range of uh, authority that went from um, Western Iran, modern-day Western Iran, all the way to Egypt, went from Syria all the way down to Saudi Arabia. There's um, the testimony of, is of this successful man who forgot who was really in charge, thought he was. And, and so this testimony goes in two directions this morning. It's a warning and it's an encouragement. To, to anyone who, um, who is a little bit high and mighty in their life or exercising a little bit of arrogance or is, is living in a way that's sort of... Um, Practically denying the divine. Your prayer life is down to nothing. Your praise life is pretty scant. It's a warning. You may be flirting a whole lot of pride in your life. Beware. On the other hand, to those who are under the oppression of prideful people, to those who are being beat up, to those who are hurting, to those who are struggling, to those who are vulnerable, to to those who are weak, by human standards. It's an encouragement. Because everywhere in this testimony is a crackling reminder that the God we serve is the God of the universe, is the God who is in charge of all things. Regardless of how the landscape looks in your life, it is God who is in charge. That's what we're going to see in this testimony. And and so quickly, I simply want to give you four takeaways. We're going to read the text, and then I want to give you four takeaways This morning, from this text, Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world. Now, the testimony, by the way, is after the fact. So he begins his statement with great praise to God, but you need to know that he didn't get there quickly. There was a lot of pain and struggle before he got there, but that's the way it starts. May you prosper greatly. And then it's like he's introducing the most important being in all the universe. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Wouldn't you love to walk into your office tomorrow, walk into your school, walk into whatever place of employment and say, it is a pleasure for me to introduce to you all the wonderful things that my great God has done for me this weekend. Can you imagine Have you ever tried that? 
They might think I was crazy if I did that here tomorrow in this place. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, hasn't he grown weary of these guys? Honestly, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me, really. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the beasts of the field found shelter. The birds of the air lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men... And gives them to anyone he wishes. And sets over them the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can. Because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar... Do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, the tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the beasts of the field and having nesting places in its branches for the birds of the air, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. You, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of of heaven. Let him live like the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree The Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like cattle, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. 
The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Is this an amazing testimony or what? Of a man successful in the flesh, prideful, arrogant, reduced in humility to that of a beast who raises his eyes toward heaven and is restored and now praises the God of heaven, the God of the universe, and decrees that all the peoples in his reign and his region should worship God. How did he get there? Well, let me just say to you, to the proud, let me give you a couple of takeaways, as I said. To the self-reliant, to the super savvy, to the self-made man or woman of success, listen, you are a microsecond away from insanity. And the complete collapse of every ability, faculty, and capacity you have. The drift into insanity is all around us. All we have to do is open our eyes. Relativism. What's right for you or what's real for you is not necessarily real for me. If real, real, if something is real for you... It has to be real for me, or it's a fantasy. We live among a world and among a people who can live in fantasy. Their thinking is becoming increasingly depraved. What other culture so um, parades the aberrant sexual behavior of its culture, puts that on display and is proud of it, but a culture that is drifting into insanity... Uh, walking around in the streets of Calcutta, how could you ever envision uh, being a father you're, being a father myself and having a daughter myself? I can't even imagine the, the, the low, lowness of humanity that would give away one's daughter into the sex trade. 
The evidence of insanity is all around us. I can't, uh, I can't think that it's sane for a, a, a man to abandon his family and, and put his children at jeopardy all for his own personal freedom. We are a culture adrift in the direction of insanity. I'm sure you got up this morning, got in your car to come to church, and for the most part it was quiet on your street. Because no one else was going to church. No one else was going out to worship the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth. That's a drift into insanity. Particularly vulnerable are those who've been warned by God, like Nebuchadnezzar, who've heard the message and choose to delay the reform. God is capable of reducing those who live like they are God to the thinking and behavior of a beast so that they and others might come to terms with the reality of the humanity. You puff yourself up too high. You take God out of the day to day. He may have to give you a crash course on just how lame you really are in the absence of God's protection and help. We sang about it this morning. God of the ages. I think it's the lyrics in that particular song that zero around Colossians 1.17. In referencing Jesus Christ, it says, by him all things are held together. Some of your translations will say, by him or through him all things consist. This is the same meaning. What, what it means is that, that Jesus Christ alone holds it all together. Holds your mind together, holds your body together, gives you every breath, the next breath that you breathe. And not only you, not only people in his own family, but those who reject him, those who hate him. It is Jesus Christ who holds all things together and all he has to do is decide to lift his finger away. And people become unglued. That's why I'm saying that those who are lost are in a very precarious position because they are... are, on the edge always of of having a complete collapse of every faculty they have. This is a warning. Anyone lost or saved, that anyone lost or saved has an ounce of sanity is by the grace of God. Because God is in control of all things. Now, you know, Daniel was particularly vulnerable. Perhaps there was no one in the kingdom more vulnerable than him and a few of his friends who were faithful. Why? Because he was different. He stood out from the crowd. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had already determined that um, his God was his wallet and his possessions. He, he had already, for some reason, was still enamored by the loser mob of soothsayers. But Daniel was different. And it was the testimony of a pagan king who, who, who alerts us to it. Three times in the text, I don't know if you noticed or not, he didn't get the terminology quite right because he didn't really know God. But, but he said about Daniel, he, he, I want Daniel, I want Daniel to come and help me because the spirit of, uh, of the gods, the holy gods, live in him. Three times he mentions that. 
There's something particularly powerful about that man, Daniel. Is that the way it is at your office, at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood? Is, is, it, is it the discussion of people who say, I, I don't know what it is about that person, but there's something, something very unusual about them. And I don't mean strange, weird, wacko. I mean something, something powerful about them. Anybody see the... Um, the NFL game on Thursday night, the Broncos and the Jets. Anybody see that game? Not too many. I caught the last half of it, almost the last half. And um, there's a kid who's quarterbacking the Denver Broncos. And in spite of all odds and a really lousy team, hope there are no Bronco fans here, he keeps winning, keeps leading the team to win. And, and I couldn't help but notice, because I was thinking about this sermon, I couldn't help but notice... What, what the, uh, the announcers were saying, the, the, the play-by-play sports guys were saying, over and over again, they kept saying, there's something magical about that kid. And I was thinking, your terminology is really off, but you're, you're alert to something here. His name is Tim Tebow. He's a quarterback of the Denver Broncos. He's an absolutely outspoken ambassador of Jesus Christ. He, he makes every, takes every opportunity that he has to share about Jesus Christ. And God is with him, and God is helping him. And, you know, we can argue till we're blue in the face about, you know, is God going to help one team win or another? Well, he helps the Bruins win all the time. But, but is God going to help one team or another win? While I was away slaughtering the Leafs 7-0, that was just a blessing to me. But, but anyway, I, I, I know God doesn't really help. I, I know God's not really in that business, but he is in the business of using his servants to stand out in some way. And, and I want to say as a word of encouragement to you that, that regardless of how you feel the odds are stacked against you, that, that all around you are, are, are pagan, heathen, disbelieving people who, who hate God, they'll notice something. I want to be noticed like that. And so there's a couple of thoughts I have from here that, that to the abused and the oppressed and the unjustly treated and the mistreated and the mocked and the bullied by the self-reliant people with a God complex, listen, God is able to protect and use faithful people in spite of the odds that are stacked against them. Though it seems that the overlords control your fate, God calls the shots. When Keith and I arrived in the Calcutta International Airport, and we're met by Jack and Lorraine Chan. We no sooner got in the taxi than they said to us, this has been a horrendous week in our lives. And, and they proceeded to tell us the story about, about one of their church members, a, a small in stature little man, but a big heart for God. And, and, and it seems that, that in, in the, at the time we were there, that, that the Hindus were celebrating um, some sort of festival for some array of gods. And and uh, they compete with one another, neighborhood to neighborhood. And, and, and so they, what they will do is, is, is the neighborhood will, will um, invest money in, in producing gods and, and all kinds of decorations in their neighborhood to compete with other neighborhoods in Calcutta to prove that they have the, the most devotion to their god. I mean, they have three million gods, so they can, they can you know, pick and choose. And so that their god will, be so, will help them and bless them and make them a success and all of that. And so there's some people who invest all this money on the basis of the promise that some people will give them money. 
So what they do is they, they spend all of this money sort of on loan and then go to door to door and say, by the way, you owe us 300 rupees for this God festival. Well, one of the men who lives in Calcutta, who's part of the Kerry Baptist Church, lives in this neighborhood. And so they came to his door and they knocked. They said, you owe us 300 rupees for payment for this God festival. To which he said, I'm not paying I serve the living God, not these gods. To which they said, you either pay us or we're going to take you away and beat you up. He said, well, I'm not paying. So in front of his 11-year-old son and 14-year-old son, I think if I got the story right, they dragged him away and took him to a warehouse where they systematically beat him and beat him and beat him. They said, now that you wouldn't give us 300 rupees at the, at the door, the, the charge has gone up to 5,000 rupees. And if you don't pay us 5,000 rupees, we're going to kill you. And they meant it. Well, it just so happens that um, because the little son knew his father was dragged away and heard, overheard somehow where they were going, he contacted the police. And, and just before they were going to kill this man, his name is Swapin, the police barged in and saved his life and arrested the perpetrators. to the oppressed, to the unjustly treated, to those who are dominated by godless superpowers. It is God who is in charge. It's God who rules over. This man translated for us for the week, as we, almost the whole week as we, as we worked with pastors. This man uh, gets on his bike and rides to villages and shares about Jesus Christ. God decided that he'd save him, and he did. God can and will protect, because he calls the shots. All the power of creation is actually powerless in and of itself, used by God for his own purposes. God is not dependent on anything. Do you realize that the weakest of us in the hands of God are like a nuclear warhead? God can use the lowliest of people to give the loftiest of messages if they'll rely on courage from God rather than leaning on their own weakness. As we were reading through the text, did you notice when Daniel was a little bit reticent to bring the situation to Nebuchadnezzar? You realize that Nebuchadnezzar had to pull it out of him? He had to say, Daniel, come on, tell me what, tell me, give me the goods, tell me what it is. Don't be terrified, don't be afraid. And Daniel's like, I don't, I don't want to tell him what I know is true here. I'm, I'm just this little servant, and, and, and he's the king of the, of the human empire. I'm afraid to tell him the truth. But with boldness and courage, he specifically tells the king what he needed to hear. King, this is a message of repentance, a message of reform. You need to turn from your sins. You need to walk in God's right ways. You need to stop oppressing the poor. As I was reading that, I was just thinking, you know, God hit me between the eyes with how often have I been afraid to tell somebody the message of God? I didn't want to be jeered at or made fun of. I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, not fit in with the group. 
I might have been concerned that, that you know, if, if everybody in the workplace knows what I'm thinking or what I believe God wants them to know, that my days of mobility are over. And so we talk to people in generalities. Oh, the big guy upstairs, or, or the good book, or yeah, I go to church, you know, because this is sort of a, you know, I've got to be a good old boy and go to church. But we don't tell them that unless they receive Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior and repent of their sins, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Daniel told him exactly the way it was. God will use the lowliest of people with the loftiest of message if we will just rely on the courage from God. Finally, the God we serve is nothing like the godless tyrants of natural humanity. As he struts around and notices this royal palace in the great Babylon, I couldn't help but think of Jesus Christ Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Who did not think equality with God was something that he should grasp. But took upon himself the form of a servant. Making himself nothing, he became a human. To live among us, became obedient to the Father, even obedience to the death of a cross. And showed us the distinct difference between the self-made man, tyrant king, and the king of the universe, who's a gracious, kind, compassionate God who sacrificed for us. Let me just say fourthly, the mistake that Nebuchadnezzar made, we might. He came to the conclusion that God, there were gods and things, and they ruled in the heavenlies, but it was up to him to take care of the earth. You say, well, how does that relate to me? We can get into a pattern whereby we think God is all about Sunday and all about that, and I'll give him all his due on Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll be committed to God for Sunday, or at least an hour or an hour and a half or whatever. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday i got to take care of myself. I've got I've to strategize how I should live. I've got I to live with my own savvy. I, I, know how to, I know how to make my way through life. It's okay to have God on Sunday, but I, I'm not sure. I, I want God over there. I want God in my Sunday thing, but I don't want God in everything. I don't want God in every day. I don't want God in every, every part of my life. I, I, I don't want that much of God. When this gets out of whack, all kinds of prideful things rule and reign in our lives and our behavior. It says in verse 17, 25, and 32, but God rules over the kingdom of men. Three times. That was the realization that Nebuchadnezzar had to come to. God rules over all things. He's not just a God in heaven. He's a God over the earth. He's a God over all things. He has to be a God in your life. He has to be God of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You can't compartmentalize this thing. You humble yourself every day before the mighty power of God. 
and trust in him. Our pride wells up. To the pained, the poor in spirit, the meek, Jesus says you are destined to the title deeds of God's kingdom. To the proud, it says lose your swagger. When King Nebuchadnezzar lifted up his eyes to heaven, it was then that God recognized his humble attitude. The haughtiness was gone. And he gave over himself to God. Pastor Steve and the team are going to lead us as we close this morning. It seems to me that there's an opportunity for us right now as we complete our service this morning to have a heart-to-heart with God about our own pride, our own lack of thankfulness, our own lack of recognizing that, that God is overall, that, that God's grace has been so amazing to me and has saved me. It's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I have been keeping you as a Sunday God, not an everyday God. And, and you have done so much for me. And, and I just want to express to you, Lord, as we close this morning, with a sense of humility, uh, my utmost, my best praise, my, my best offering. I want to recognize all that you've done for me, that that you have saved me and you have raised me and you have forgiven me and you have placed me in your family and you've given me your Holy Spirit and you are changing me and transforming me. You've given me your love and you've given me eternal destiny with you. I I want to recognize that this morning, Lord. I I want to have every vestige of pride taken away because in this moment, I want to worship you with all of my heart. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing like you've never sung before. Sing with thanksgiving. Sing with meaning in your heart. Sing with humility in your life that that this is who we are. We serve the living God who is God over all the universe and God over our lives. You lift it up in singing. We are humble and filled with praise. We are filled with adoration and worship. When we pray with a dependence, dependent urgency on the Lord. When we lift our eyes toward heaven, it is then that we are most in our right mind. I'm sure that among us this morning, there are some who are discouraged or hurting or in pain. The Lord hasn't appeared very strong to you lately. It is when you praise with all of your heart, when you pray with urgent dependency, it is there in worship that God positions himself to remind you that he's in charge. So let's be a people of praise, not a people of pride. Let's be a people of prayer, not a people of self-dependence. Let's be a people who are poor in spirit that he might lift us up because he is a great God. Our Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to stand out. Stand out in our praise and our adoration. Help us to love you with all of our hearts. Father, I pray this morning 
If there's a heart in here this morning that has pridefully resisted salvation, that in, the, in this moment, in the, in the presence of the King of Kings, with the Holy Spirit among us, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to humble ourselves. Move away from that pride that holds us away from God, says I can live my life myself because it's pride that keeps us away from God. Father, I pray for those who have been walking with you for years but have allowed prideful things to come into their lives and become complacent and comfortable and prosperous outside of you. I pray, Lord, that today we'd set that aside in the warning of pride and turn to you. I pray, Father, for those among us who need a lift that you would lift us up by the love and power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.